since 2004, the Spaghetti Western database has been the premier online resource for fans of the celebrated European movie genre. SWDB boasts a large collection of interviews, lists, film and home video reviews, images, and is updated daily to provide the most detailed information available. With a dedicated global community of contributors and powered by a lightning-fast, easy-to-navigate MediaWiki software, everything you want to know about Spaghetti Western Cinema is right at your fingertips. Visit the SWDB today, located online at www.spaghetti-western.net. You believe in Jesus? Yes, sir. Well, you're going to meet him. You see what fun this is? It's going to get really exciting. I know what to do now. They have made it clear. You warriors are good. Real good. The best. This is the end of your rotten life, you motherfucking dope pusher. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. And welcome to another episode of 42nd Street Forever, the official podcast of Grindhouse Cinema Database. I'm Pete Roberts, and I'm here with my co-host, Sebastian Hasselbeck. Hey, Seb, how you doing? Howdy, Pete. How are you? We're doing good. We're hanging out, and we're, today is where we have a special spaghetti western double feature that we'll be discussing and those were shown at the lyric theater in september of 1970 and i'll give a give you a little uh background on the lyric theater the lyric was built in 1903 and designed by victor hugo kohler it opened on october 12 1903 with the german romantic play old heidelberg the theater was initially to have been leased to composer reginald de coven as home to his American School of Opera, but the school went bankrupt before the theater was completed. It ended up, ended up being leased instead to the Schubert brothers as a legitimate stage. During slow periods in the 1910s and 20s, the Schuberts subleased the Lyric Theater out to William Fox to screen movies. In 1925, the Marx brothers appeared there on stage in The Coconuts. One of the last stage productions featured an all-black cast in Run, Little Children, which ran from March to June 1933. The Lyric ended its legitimate playhouse days in 1934, and in order to de- survive the d- depression, it joined many other 42nd Street houses in becoming a movie theater. The Lyric remained a movie house until it closed in 1992. Then in 1996, after its remaining art- ar- architectural elements were removed, it joined the neighboring Apollo Theater and being raised apart from, from its facades. It was later replaced by the Ford Theater for the performing arts, in which architectural fragments of both the Lyric and the Apollo were reused. And here's an excerpt about the theater from Bill Landis's classic grindhouse book, The Sleazoid Express. The Lyric was smack in the center of 42nd Street on the north side between 7th and 8th Avenues. Coming out of its doors, you'd bump into the other deuce grindhouses, whether you went left, right, or across the street. Looking like a doppelganger of its neighbor, the Selwyn Theater, it was one of the street's most popular venues, offering many enjoyable flourishes, a spacious lobby sporting a huge display of stills and posters, a big screen, a clear sound system, and a dramatically steep balcony with a view of the entire theater. The comfy seats were periodically reupholstered, which made the Lyric cozier than many of its neighbors. The theater combined the most popular exploitation films on the deuce with Hollywood hits and attracted people who want to be left alone to enjoy some cheaper entertainment. Young white guys in windbreakers from the boroughs, black professionals, deuce criminals taking a break from picking pockets or conning tourists, inner city denizens wanting to escape overcrowded tenements, older people from nearby Hell's Kitchen. Nobody was looking for trouble, neither threatening nor inviting. The Lyric was the archetype of the faceless Funhouse, a metronome of normalcy in a chaotic place. As with most of the better grindhouses, the Lyric had a hot dog stand in the back. The theater was air-conditioned during the summer. By refrigeration, in quotes, proclaimed a hot sign hanging off the marquee, which made it a welcome relief from the sweltering street outside. But I was gonna another thing I was gonna say is people who are, aren't like real familiar with with uh, this type of you know grindhouse cinema history, they would probably know the movie best from the movie Taxi Driver. The, the theater best from the movie Taxi Driver because that's where uh, Travis takes Betsy on their date. Remember? <laughs> yeah, it's a great date. <laughs> that was like like the first. You know, that was that's like a little like if you if you're not familiar with the other stuff, that would you would know it from that movie. So yeah, but also the book idea. you mentioned, Lizard Express. That's a real recommendation. I mean, uh, yeah, for that's... whoever wants to get into Grindhouse Cinema, that's one of the better books probably. Right. Exactly. So uh, yeah, so during in September. 
of uh, 1970, Sabata was released in the United States. And that month it was playing on, at the Lyric on a double bill with Enzo G. Castellari's Payment in Blood from 1967, which was his first official film. And he's credited as E.G. Rowland, which was common back then, as we know, like with the, you know, the Americanizing the names. And Sabata was drink, directed by Gianfranco Parolina, whose pseudonym was Frank Kramer, another Americanized version of his, you know, you know, original name. So that sort of connects to what we talked about on the last episode with all the crazy names, you know, the all that stuff we were talking about. Umberto Lenzi and Richard Holiday and all that. So uh, I guess did you want to get into Sabata and, and discuss that? Yeah, let's let's yeah. let's start with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, that was directed by Gianfranco Parolini, and uh, it was released in Italy in 1969, but it didn't come out here until 1970. Which isn't bad. I mean, if you look at the dollars movies, they took more than just a year to get to the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, like those were, when did those, those originally come out in like 1964, but I I think, and then it probably didn't come out here until like 67 or something like that. Uh, Probably even later, there was the the copyright um, case with Akira Kurosawa that held it up for quite some time but then they all came out almost at the same time so if you were in the u.s at that time you got to see a lot of those um at the same time more or less because uh, it was a huge wave of it was kind of a backlog so to speak and since by then the whole spaghetti western had already you know taken shape there was a never ending um flood of of more movies so uh, if you if you had started watching them in the early 60s um, you would have seen just you know a couple but if you only got into them at the at the later 60s then there were already so many around that you could just see yourself crazy at the theater <laughs> it was a whole way and then like also like the django movies there was like the, the original django from like 1966 but then there was like every other movie that came out had the django name in the title right that was like another like phenomenon of the <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard for us to to imagine how the business worked back in the days but those movies were extremely extremely um, successful and you know that was before the internet and everything so (laughs) one of the marketing tools that they had is just to cash in on whatever worked and especially in germany they slapped the django title onto every second spaghetti western that came out Right. Django the so and so, Django and Sabata the whatever, Django hits the so and so, Django shoots first, Django shoots second. I don't know. There's <laughs> like a hundred different titles. It's crazy. At least, yeah. I bet. Yeah. So with Sabata, this was probably Lee Van Cleef's, would you maybe seventh or eighth spaghetti western? I think, like, you know, if you count like the first, you know, the dollars, you know, the, or for a few dollars more was probably his first, right? That was his first one. And that was like whatever it was, 64 or 65, I think. But this yeah, was this like. Was, yeah. So this came out in 67 in, uh, in Italy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, si- uh, I'm sorry. 69. Uh, 69. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was. Uh, uh, that was sort of in the in the mid phase of his spaghetti western career, more or less. He had done several, and like you know, he kind of had built a reputation at this point by you know, as far as popularity goes. Like he kind of where Clint Eastwood made like a, you know he did his his dollars trilogy, and he and he like basically went home to America. Lee Van Cleef stayed in Italy and in, in Spain and just kept making cranking out these movies, and he kind of became like you know the face of the the American face of the spaghetti westerns in a way, really. I yeah, I don't know what uh, what made him stay or or you know, what prevented him from returning. I mean, I'm not I'm not the Levan Cleave expert. Would have to ask Mike Malloy or someone. But I think you know from from some of the stories that you read or hear is that you know alcoholism played a role. Maybe uh, maybe he got uh, Money. married Money. or he got into a relationship with someone in Europe. I mean, okay. yeah. some of the later movies he made they were not really good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Sabata is, I have to say, it's one of, it's in my top 10. As we were talking, we were going to do our little top 10 picks, forget favorite movies later on. But yeah, this is and uh, not, to, not to give anything away, but it's it's never been in my top 10. Uh, but rewatching it <laughs> just a couple of days ago for, for this episode is, I have to say that it has <laughs> risen in my appreciation oh, cool. ever since the last time I've seen it. That's good because I just, I think with these this genre, it's like you, it's almost like a thing where you get a, a, a an instant, not an maybe not an instant reaction, but you kind of know what you develop your own tastes and what you like. Like for me, like 
I feel like Sabata, it, it rep- has a little bit of everything I, I like about the genre. It has like a little bit of action. It has like little, that quirkiness that, you know, the spaghetti Western quirkiness that we, you know, most of them have. It has like great music. It has, you know, the colorful characters. It has, you know, I just love the whole, and like, you know, the, the plot and the story, that's always, you know, that's part of it too. But I think it's after like you've seen that after you've watched it a few times and you know the plot and stuff you're almost watching it to hang out with the characters it's one of those types of movies for me like i like like sabata and i like Karincha. his you know the, he has his sidekicks Karincha, uh alley cat he's sort of he's almost like sort of like a superhero-ish type character to me like you know he's he's one of those characters he hangs out like on the roofs of buildings like for some reason it's almost like batman yeah, or something I, he's like I, spider-man or batman or something up on the yeah. roof like hanging out it's and you know and he has like his acrobatic like you know his acrobatic skills and stuff and then there's banjo who is obviously a take on harmonica from once upon a time in the west you know he he plays his banjo and he's kind of like an enigmatic character who kind of like comes into the you know the scenes every here now and then it's i just like that whole just the whole tone of it and the whole, like, you know, it's a like kind of fun comic booky pulp kind of like action adventure. I just like that whole tone of it. Like, you know. Now, one of the things that, um, that is important to know about Sabata is that by, by the time it came out, that was after the James Bond success. So one of the things that they tried, especially in marketing the movie overseas is selling it as something of a Western version of a James Bond movie. Uh, I see. So they emphasized, you know, his his uh, the trickery, the gadgets, uh, and a bit of the plot elements where he's kind of almost like an, a secret agent sort yeah, of character. Awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah, that's and, awesome. and and combined with the aspects that you mentioned as where it's a combination of a lot of spaghetti western elements that we've already seen elsewhere the right. you know the the uh the mythical character right. uh, the uh the conspiracy the uh, evil uh big yeah, shot gangster up. trying right. to buy land uh the it's almost the like a mixture of yeah it's almost the, like the a mixture of all that stuff of of of, uh, of heroes or anti-heroes Right. Uh, so forth and all this together i think that makes for a really entertaining movie but as you said in the beginning um uh, this is this is a movie that sort of has it all but also right. i would argue that it walks a really fine line between being a serious movie and an almost too lighthearted movie yeah and for for me at least i've always you know saved it in my memory as a lighthearted movie and that right. was one of the reasons i never really liked it so much you like the grittier but stuff i guess i like, I like the, the grittier yeah. stuff but now having rewatched it i think this yeah. first installment i think does it really well whereas the right. sequels i think they get too slapsticky yeah they get a little bit more like like the second one gets a little bit too goofy like it's a, like way goofier than it's almost reaching like into the you know the trinity like stuff in a way you know what i mean like with those yeah and all the gadgets and the but i do like the third things. film adios sabato which as we were we were gonna i think we both know it was supposed to be like an original movie indio black i think it was supposed to be called with yul brenner but like mm-hmm. you know they they call him sabata but it's not you can tell it's not really supposed to be sabata but it's it's still a good film like with some cool colorful characters like those guys were like you know the the flamenco dancer of death and that guy that fires like like ball bearings off his shoes i, I just love like all those little you know and I, I was also gonna bring up was we were, we were fans of Robert Rodriguez. And I always wondered like if he had seen these movies and was kind of inspired for his, you know, like those characters and like in Desperado, like they have all those cool, like kind of gadgets and stuff like, you know, like, like, um, you know, the, the main character with his like guitar, with his guitar case, it like pops open and like the, the, uh, you know, the Danny Treo's character with the knives. I don't know. I just thought maybe he had seen these and like, he kind of was inspired by, but who knows? I would I, say I so. And, uh, Austin Fisher who's doing a video intro on the, um, I think the Eureka, yeah. um, edition of the blu-ray for this movie yeah. is of the same opinion like banjo thought, really? oh i didn't know that okay. El mariachi with the guitar right. case you know there's there's similarities some little connections there or something but yeah yeah but i, I just love that whole you know there's just that whole and you were saying like you know it, it has like the tone of it is like kind of like lighter and stuff than the other spaghetti westerns but but i think it, that really works i mean i think that you know that you know th- there's all different styles as we know of the spaghetti western this was like sort of probably more of like a lighter one you know a little lighter in tone and not so like dark yeah. and you know and and i think um 
you know, this this came out in 69, so it was probably shot in early 69 or in late 68. And even yep. though that's only four or five years into the Spaghetti Western, for in Spaghetti Western years, this is already kind of a veteran veteran effort. Right. So, it's like so Perlini was already at a stage where they had to try something new in order to stick out. So yeah. they took the classic sets and the costumes and the action and all the all the things that they knew that worked, and they had to add something to it uh, and uh, what they added was something that he had already tried out in a different movie in the uh, Sartana um, character that he uh, he invented or that he um, um, was it yeah was it uh, if you meet Sart or I don't know that this you meet Sartana pray for pray a death, for death or whatever yeah, the okay. translation is yeah right. yeah and took took whatever they 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 had there that worked and combined it um, with with what they had here right. and then uh, what you have here is of course this is this was a, um, a grimaldi production so this this had a big budget so right. they could really do something with it and you can and tell I, actually I by, you, when you yeah you can tell when you say, watch you this really movie that's the budget right that's another thing i was going to bring up sorry to interrupt you but i was going to say when you watch this movie like compared to other uh, other you know movies in the genre that are like they're like lower budgeted but this one almost looks like it has like a like a real big budget to it. it just looks like you know beautifully you know the cinematography is like beautiful and like it's just everything is like nice and like clean and like sharp i don't know how to describe it it's just like compare like maybe you if you compare it to the next movie we're going to talk about it's like it's like almost like you know real high budget versus like kind of a lower budget like affair yeah this I don't know. is a really pro yeah. effort I yeah mean, it's like it just is... really looks good too uh, and Parolini, I mean, I'm not the biggest uh, um, expert on Parolini, but uh, you mentioned that, you know, he was he was always going by Frank Kramer, uh, which is right. something that a lot of the European directors did. Yep. He died in 2018, I think. Oh, wow. And he, you know, he's not not necessarily just a spaghetti western director. He did uh, sword, sword and Sandals movies and Euro Spy Flicks. Yep. Uh, and this, this one was probably his biggest movie. Uh, yeah, I think I would, so. I would guess he did, you know, the Sartana movie. He did a pretty good war movie called Five for Hell. We know Five for Hell. Like I know I'm a kind of a yeah. fan of that one too. That's a kind of a fun movie too. And so then he made uh, because Combat. this one because yeah. this one got so uh, um, successful. He did the other two Sabata sequels. Right. And then I think the rest of the career I couldn't even think of a title. So he stopped. I think he even stopped making movies at the end of the '80s. Yeah, this is like, you know, this is like when he was in his like prime, I guess, for those types of movies. Yeah. But I always was wondering, like, like I looked, I was trying to do some research and like find out like where the acrobatic stuff in his movies came from. That was kind of like a weird twist on, you know what I mean? Like I never saw that in those, uh, you know, in other spaghetti westerns. Like he added like that weird acrobatic, you know, element to the, and in, in, in Five for Hell, you can see some of that. It's in, what's his name? Uh. Nick Jordan or Aldo Canty, I think is, you know, he's in both of the, he plays Alley Cat mm -hmm. in this movie. He's in, he's in uh, Five for Hell too, but he does like, kind of like, you know, acrobatic st stunts and stuff in that one too. And it's like, I just was, well, I just thought that was a cool, like, you know, element to his movies. My, my guess is that, you know, a lot of spaghetti Western crews or even directors like uh, Castellari, they, they came from a stuntman background. Oh, yeah. So you would have a lot of people, uh, at your disposal who were very knowledgeable with stunts and action stuff and they would bring probably their own ideas so maybe you'd start out making a movie that doesn't have a lot of acrobatic stuff in it but you would have people working for you that could do it and then then there would be a, let's say a fight sequence and they would be like oh i can even do a backflip here if you would like me to <laughs> <That's> pretty cool <laughs> And then I mean, one thing leads to the other. I mean, if you think of right. um, even Terrence Hill and Juliana Gemma and a few yeah. other actors, they were really acrobatic um, jocks oh, yeah. uh, type type folks. So they right. were not just actors, but they, they liked doing physical stuff. Yeah. And audiences like that because, you know, if, right. if you imagine you're like a 12-year-old kid and you see all this jumping <laughs> around, whatever, you leave the movies and you go out and play. And... That's that's probably where it comes from. It's like my inner 12-year-old, like, you know, because I love – I just love that type <laughs> of stuff. I don't know. It just added – it just – it almost like added – like, I think what I'm subconsciously subconsciously thinking about is it's like a like a comic book movie or something, like a superhero movie. So, like, when I see him, like, bounce, he, like, jumps off the roof and, like, bounces yeah. – off it's like a, a like a trampoline and like flips i don't know that's what i'm just thinking of that type of stuff 
Yeah, it's a cartoon. Like I mean, I personally, I don't like the Alicat character much. I think this is a very useless aspect of the movie. But <laughs> okay, well, uh, I just think he adds kind of a cool element myself. But you know, yeah, it is. And also, it's a nice break a from the. Yeah, it's like a nice break from like the, the the typical stuff that you get in those movies. Like you know what I mean? It kind of adds like a little kind of a different flavor to the to the you know the story. I don't know. That was just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and if you combine that, with, I mean, yeah. there's this let's say this goofiness or this uh, cartoonishness to it but then yeah. it's all to the backdrop of a very serious story classic right. sets there is plenty of violence uh, let's not kid ourselves right. and this, this mix or this blend of ingredients i think makes the movie really interesting in a lot of ways definitely and that, I, I thought like sabato was almost like after i've watched it several times now i almost thought that saw him as like a mix of Blondie and in Colonel Douglas Mortimer themselves, like almost like a, a mixture of them. Cause like, you know, he's playing like the, you know, like the, um, you know, the drifter that kind of drifts into town, but then he has like that, that Colonel Douglas Mortimer, like kind of like the sharpshooter aspect and all that type of stuff. I just thought that was really cool. I don't know. I just thought of that. That might not be where it comes from, but, and then also banjo of course is like harmonica. Like, you know, he's, he kind of, like what I was saying, he like comes into the frame, like starts playing his banjo and he's kind of like, Verga is really great in this a little foil for, Sabata. I would have to think if there's any better Billy Berger roles. I think he was really good in this one. He's almost underutilized. And he's in Face to Face. I've only seen that once, but I don't really, I can't really remember his character, but I think he was in that one. And he, he was in several other. He was in a lot of those. Yeah. Yep. Today We Kill, Tomorrow We Die. And then also Kioma, that one, I think. And um, if, if you want to go back to Cleef, uh, as you mentioned before, he did plenty of spaghetti westerns but yeah. um th this is already even for him sort of at the end of the the run of, spaghetti westerns. of the run he did you know day of anger death rides a horse beyond the law the big right. gun the good bad and the ugly yep. and then aside from let's say the grand duel and take a hard ride yep. the rest of his stuff was like I mean, not that good if you like some of the canon pictures that he did in the yeah. 80s or whatever yeah sure yeah. But basically, the late '60s, that was him at the top of his game. Right. That was kind of like the the last, the last, you know, last hurrah for <laughs> last hurrah for leaving Cleve. But I, for me, like I grew up with him like in the '80s, pretty much, because that's when I was a little kid. So I didn't know really much about spaghetti westerns back then. But like I, I first saw him like in a TV show called The Master. He played like a ninja. That was like you know. Oh like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned that on another episode, but. So I kind of like knew him from there, but you know, it, now that I'm a bit big, big spaghetti western fan, I think I've seen almost all the spaghetti westerns at this point. Like there's a couple of my, I don't think I've seen God's Gun, but I've seen like you know, I've seen all the earlier ones. Like and I love all like all those like Death Rides a Horse and you know Day of Anger is one of my favorites and. All those. Yeah, God's Gun is not worth your time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Unfortunately, that. I mean I like them yeah. all, but. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, it's... you've seen them all. You've seen all the. Yeah, I've not seen all, but I've seen plenty. I'm. God's gun. I mean, I, I would say that it's just absolutely a lesser effort. Yeah, it's by just any standard. All and like stupid. For completists, of course, you need to see it. Right. And there's 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 one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that I think the music is really great. Oh, oh yeah yeah the music definitely is one of my favorite scores for spaghetti westerns. I love it. Yeah, that's another aspect that I love. It's uh, from by Marcello. Marcello. Giambini. Yeah, Marcello Giambini. <laughs> Yeah, it's excellent score, ex excellent theme song. It's one of my even even the the sequel has an awesome you know main theme and the you know. Yeah, they brought him back for the for the sequel too, and he did a few other spaghetti westerns, but he's not so extremely well known. Well known, yeah, yeah. So that's a one of my favorite you know favorite spaghetti westerns. You know, after years of being into these movies, now I. It's in my top ten. I don't know. You said, but you said it, you 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 kind of like it went up higher on your list this time after watching it. And yeah, as I said, I mean, I still find it unnecessarily long. And really, oh, okay. Could have, it yeah, could have so. done well with some trimmings, but I, I like it a lot better now yeah. than yeah. last time I've seen it, which must have been five more years ago. Yeah. yeah. Type of and lighter tone. It's almost like he's at a very self-confident place yeah. as right. him in that character. It's right. almost like he has become his spaghetti western alter ego and now right. he's just basically playing himself. <laughs> right. And like you were saying, like the 
the whole James Bond aspect of it, like, you know, that type of thing, like, cause sometimes you'll be what, like, I'll be watching that type of stuff. And like, I won't really think it cause I, I was, I never like, you know, I was too young to see these movies when they first came out. So I probably, when you were probably seeing them back then, you were still like, they were in the, that James Bond period where like, you know, everything was sort of like saturated with that stuff going on. And you probably would see like a trailer and you'd be like, Oh wow, that's going to be like a James Bond spaghetti Western. I got to go see that one. And, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for us, we're just watching these movies. We're not thinking of all the stuff in the zeitgeist, as I was saying earlier, of what's, what's going on, but that's just, you know, like, and another thing is like, I love like, you know, kind of, like like I was saying, the comic book aspect of it, like that type of thing. And you're, you've never been like a huge comic book fan, as we know. We've had several discussions about that. But, you know, that's that's just where I'm coming from. And then you have the things that you like about the Spaghetti Western and that type of thing. But Yeah, and in the end, I think that this yeah. is maybe a sort of, a, as I let's say, as a conclusion yeah. from my end, I think this yeah. is, I think Sabata is a Spaghetti Western that a lot of people can enjoy because it right. does have all these aspects. So, you know, wherever you're coming from you will find something right. in them in this movie that you will like right it's like a pop spaghetti western i guess is what it would be to us you know what i mean like a it's yeah. not it's more it's not like the gritty the grittier ones it has like sort of like that pop sensibility to it like a brighter kind of sensibility to it yeah it has a it's it has, just, it's it has it a lot of mass appeal right okay so should we move on to our next film yep then there's a um connecting element to it too the next film we'll talk about is called Payment in Blood, and it was also called Renegade. Was it Renegade Riders? Something like uh, that. It's called uh, Blake's Marauders. And Renegade Riders too. I don't know. There was like a couple different alternate titles to it. Yeah, and Seven Winchesters for a Massacre, which is basically the translation of the original title. Oh yeah. I think it was also called The Final Defeat and Winchester for Hire in the in Australia. Right. Yep. And uh, Texas, eighteen sixty-seven, and I don't know where that is. Some other country, Brazil, I think. <laughs> Israel, okay. <laughs> but Brazil. it had all those different titles. But you know, we'll just call it "Payment in Blood," which is which is what it was called when it played in the grindhouses here. So, yep. which is interesting because Blake's Marauders is probably the most accurate or the yeah that <laughs> does sound more like fitting it. title for the movie. Yeah, right. But we'll like get it. into that. And there was another movie called Merrill's Marauders. I think there was another West. It's probably where, like, you know, they were, it was a takeoff on that. But anyways, <laughs> but uh, so this movie was, was this was directed by Enzo G. Castellari. And this was his first film, I think, right? First Pretty much major the first credited one, I think, film. Yeah. yeah. And he's well, one of our the favorite. He's credited for, I think he made movies before, but he never got uh, credit credited. Because it started out as a... I think a stunt coordinator or something. Right. But he's one of our favorite genre directors. He would go on to become one of our favorite genre directors. Like after, you know, he made several movies. He made like Spaghetti West. He was another director that did all types of different genres. Like, you know, know, actually a lot of those directors did. A lot of the Italian directors did worked in all different genres. Like they do like Peplum. They do... They do this a few spy films. They do it's basically whatever was popular like during that those years and you know the the sixties and early seventies and yeah they were and, I mean most of them were uh, under contract uh, at Italian studios and of right. course uh, they they made uh, their mark in the whatever genre was the right. successful uh, um, genre at the time right. And he was, and then he went on to do like the the Polizios and, you know, he did like all those. And then he did like, in, that, in his most famous film for, for people that aren't like into these types of movies, they'd, they'd know the film Inglorious Bastards, not the Tarantino film, but this his, his was the original one from 1978. And that's like, you know, that's a very, one of his most famous films. And which is almost like a spaghetti western taking yeah. place during the war. <laughs> right. It's the same idea, but it's like, you know, a dirty dozen spaghetti western, basically, you know, like a, you know. And for, for those uh, looking for a um, um, Polizio recommendation, he made High yeah. Crime with Franco right. Nero, which is also an excellent uh, representation of that genre. And I finally saw that after after our last episode, I watched that movie and I was like, that has one of the one of the craziest man getting hit by cars scenes I've ever like I've ever seen in any movie. It was just crazy. I was like, whoa, it was like that must have been I mean, it, it had to be a dummy to see that guy. He got hit by the car. It was just. <laughs> crazy like it was just like so like violent and like just insane but and that's anyway. that's also that's sort of what he's become known for he's a, yeah. he's an action director so yeah, his, his movies action are movie. action movies right but uh, but if we're talking about payment and blood or whatever blake's marauders or Re- renegade riders i think 
like if before talking about like you know the the plot and all that stuff we can go over that a little bit but i think like you can it, it's not a perfect film and it's not like one of my favorite spaghetti westerns or anything but you can see the beginnings of Enzo's style in this movie. Like you can definitely see like, it's it's sort of like, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's kind of all over the place, but like, you can see like in scenes, like his action scenes and stuff, you can, and like the style of it, you can see like the beginnings of like what would come later on. And like, he would kind of fine tune everything. That's what I thought about after I watched this movie. Yeah. The, yeah. For the most part, they, they tried, you know, they're, um, they tried out what they could do with a few early ones. Um, right. Let's say Corbucci, he did a number yeah. of uh, of early ones that are not so well known until he went right. on to do uh, Django probably. until he like found yeah. his style and, and, yeah. and, and his voice and same with right. same with Castellari. Right. Um, for, for the later part uh, of his Spaghetti Western and War movie career, most of his movies are kind of mission movies. Uh, they're adventures, yeah. they're action-rich adventures. And you can see this sort of here, but uh, it's not as pronounced as in, let's say, Kill Them All and Come Back Alone, which is almost like a man on a mission. Yeah, I love that one. That's actually my movie. favorite, one of my favorites of his is that one with uh, Chuck Connors. And that's sort of like a Dirty Dozen type movie, basically. Exactly. Like those characters. Yeah, I like that one a lot. That's a good one. That's probably the first. I think that's the only other one I saw by him as far as the Spaghetti Westerns go. Well, you may have seen Kiyoma. Yeah, did yeah, I've seen Kiyoma. Yeah, I did see Kiyoma. That's and the one with such a, weird, yeah, the weird like score with that guy singing, like that weird. That's a very late entry in <laughs> the story, but also yeah. one that's also quite popular or was popular in the US is Any Gun Can Play. Oh yeah. I probably might have seen that too. I think Joe's Roland. Yeah. Yeah, I think I probably saw that once years ago, but but I, re I remember like Kill Em All and Come Back Alone the, the most out of like all of those. But this one starred uh, Ed Cookie Burns, and he was actually one of the one of the actors that like inspired Rick Dalton. Not to go back into like you know the Tarantino verse again, but that's just just to to put it in context. Like that's like where he like his career was sort of like the similar similar to Rick Dalton. So this was like his spaghetti Western time. Like when he was like, he started out and he was like in, in the fifties and he played like all different, like teen teenager type roles. And then he was on 77 sunset strip. That was like his big, like popular role and like on TV. And he was like, kind of like a teen heartthrob. And then like years and then a few years later, he started doing like the spaghetti Westerns and he did those for a while. And then, you know, his career kind of like took a weird twists and turns and, but like growing up, like I, I, I didn't I first knew of him from the movie Grease because he plays like a Dick Clark type guy in that movie. And like I, I didn't know who he oh, was back then. Okay. That was like when I was a little kid. So I had no idea like who Ed Cookie Burns was. But, you know, this is just for a little background on like who he was. Yeah, same. The name meant you know, nothing to me until I yeah, saw I this movie. <laughs> so it's like, you know. So, but I mean, in this movie, like when you watch this movie, what the first thing I thought of, like after I watched it, was it's sort of like a like a um, a mixture of like for for a few dollars more and like that that type of thing. It has like that, like you know, the the guy that's the the guy that um, joins up with like a like a, a a gang of like killers and like you know like you know what is he doing there? Is does he have alternate mo alter ulterior motives or what you know like that type of thing that's what i thought yeah of, but, but I think yeah of... but in the end it's even more than that it's right. uh, i would say it falls into the subgenre of spaghetti westerns that not only is it one of those post-civil war type ones yeah. but it falls into the very distinct undercover agent oh job yeah yeah kind right. of story and right. without that's giving too is. much away that's sort of that's sort of what this movie is about. It's like, who can you right. trust? Who has which kind of motive? Uh, right. And there's a bunch of twists and turns and backstabbing and, and betrayal right. maybe, uh, or is there something else going on? You don't know until the end as the, as the audience, but that's sort of, and, and, and we see that in, I, I want to say at least 10 or 15 other spaghetti Westerns uh, right. that, that follow later or that, this one's even following in, in the footsteps yeah. and is this sort of uh, infiltration type. Yeah. I like that story, type of story too. Yeah. I definitely like that. And when the co-star of the movie is Ennio Girolami and it's what I found it's out was Enzo's Castellari's brothers and <laughs> Ennio Girolami. So that's, yeah, kinda, that was kind of cool. Cause Castellari mm -hmm. is his mom's, uh, na last that, name and oh, really? he okay. usually goes by Enzo G Castellari and the G right. stands for Girolami. Girolami. Okay, so that was kind of a cool little thing. Yeah. And who's the who's the main bad guy? Is it Guy Madison? 
Is yeah, he's, he plays yeah. the titular Colonel Blake. I like the, I like Colonel him. He's, yeah, he's, he's good. He doesn't but have too much screen time here, but right. Um, yeah. But like I was saying, like I was comparing this movie to it. Just this is what the what I was comparing it to for a few dollars more. And I was comparing. I was taking Ed Burns's character Stuart as blonde as you know Joe or Blondie, whatever you want to call him. Clint Eastwood. I'll just call him Clint Eastwood. Taking him and then putting him in with El Indio's gang, you know, John Maria Volante's gang. Mm-hmm. He kind of like, in, there's a little bit of that. It's like a, it's sort of, it's a different story, as you were saying. It has like a different, you know, the undercover agent type thing. But, you know, it's, it, it has a, actually, he's sort of a bounty hunter in that, in, in, uh, what do you call it, right? For a few dollars more. He, cause at the end, he basically does take all those guys and like to get the, collect the bounty at the end, right? So and and he, is there... a, he is a bounty hunter in that movie. And weren't yeah, so there like sort of the stories or, or yeah. theories that even the yeah. man with no name was actually a government agent or something? Yeah, it's like, but but anyway, so it's like connecting to this movie. Like I'm I'm seeing Ed Burns as as you know Clint Eastwood's character going into El Indio's gang or you know whatever his name is, uh, you know uh, Blake, the ex Confederate guy Blake, who's who's supposed to be crazy, and we know that El Indio was a, a Looney Tune. You know, when you watch that movie, he's a total nutcase. So it's like that <laughs> similar thing going on. But when the difference is, is um, Blake definitely isn't as crazy as El Indio. He's sort of, he's, 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 he has a reputation, a reputation as being crazy. But when you watch it, it's like, he's not really that crazy. He's a little bit, but you know, it's, it's just, I was kind of compare, comparing him back and forth by, while watching. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not, he's not a, pathologically crazy it's more no, like, it's like he's a bit overly <laughs> violent and impulsive yeah. but also he's right. kind of delusional yeah. and that 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 works really well because this as i said this is one of those post-civil war type films and one of the old titles is blake's marauders so th- there's all these um uh, like post-civil war type gang movies with um, ex-confed soldiers that don't really want the war to be over. And, you know, right. you see this in a lot of U.S. Westerns as well. This, it remi- this you know what it reminds me of now that you brought that up is Outlaw Josie Wales with the uh, the Civil War, the you know, the Union soldiers, the, the Red yeah. Legs. And they're like, they're a bunch of marauders that go around like burning down like houses and stuff and, you know, like raping women. You know, like just that's like just part of that genre, I guess, the, you know, that post-Civil War genre or, you know, like, you know. Civil War, anyway, Civil War genre. Yeah, so this was a popular subgenre even before the Italians touched it, basically. <laughs> right. So it's so, but as far as like the movie goes, I thought it was a good film. You know, overall, it just it's it was just sort of like it just not as good as like you know it could have been. But you know, there's this, and I really like the score in there. By the Fantastic score is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things in the movie is the score. It's one of those things where I'm looking for anything. But I like I, I was. There was one part towards the end where it was like almost like a like a Sam Peckinpah like shootout in the town. And I was like, this is like reminding me of the Wild Bunch. And this came up before the Wild Bunch. So it was like it was almost like like without the slow motion, but a similar like like setup. If you watched both movies, you'd be like, oh, wow, that that, that does remind me of that. And that's it, just something it, I saw. It's good that you mentioned it because, uh, yep. as we said earlier, uh, Castellari was an action director, and yep. I think there's some moments in this one where, even though it feels, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it has a lot of rough edges and, yeah, and probably didn't yep. have the biggest budget, but it, there's some scenes in there where you can see that they really made the most out of it and they had ambition right. to make right. something that really stood out and uh, shootouts are one of them mm-hmm. uh, but also i think the script is pretty smart uh it's yeah, not it the is, most yeah. original story of course as we just mentioned but it's yeah. it's a pretty smart script and also i i do like the um the fact that it doesn't center too much on the bad guy as uh, zabata did for example I yep. mean, uh, Colonel Blake does barely have, I don't know, barely 15 minutes of screen time, probably. He's more really? like oh, a, man. he's more like a shadow in the, in the, in the background that looms over the thing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I guess I, it's, I didn't think about, of that. It's more about, you know, how Stuart uh, rescues uh, Chamaco right. uh, and then infiltrates the whole gang and, and so on yeah. and so forth. It's more about that than really um, the, the Blake villains. himself or... Like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. sort of like just like you know he's in he's in there, but he's not like the main like you know the focus of the thing going on. There's all this other stuff going on around. Exactly, the, the, the villain is not being rubbed into our face, and I think that makes right. it interesting. Even though I think yeah. it burns is not the most um, 
Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. doesn't have that great screen presence or anything. He, he, that's the thing I was going to say about him is like he's he's sort of like mediocre as far as like the you know he doesn't have like the same like a Clint Eastwood type person person. He's just kind of like going through the motions of like you know of the role like you know like you know talking to the guy, giving him like a little smile, like kind of giving trying to be like kind of like a rebel rebel looking like you know James Dean type character a little bit, but he's he doesn't have like a real strong like personality or anything, which is like you know that's kind of you have to have that like special like you know like a, he's not like a lee van cleef type guy or anything like that or no absolutely not he doesn't have like the, but I, do, I do have to say though i mean having just rewatched it also for, for this i mean it's, it's kind of a shame that there's no restored hd version of this because i do yeah. think that it will it would actually gain in in appreciation if if more folks were to see the movie closer to how it must have looked rather than some yeah uh, i think so too I some think old dvd i mean the dvds of this one that are available they're all not of the greatest quality yeah the, the, so, yeah the yeah, print there's I more, there's more to blur. this movie, I guess, than a lot of people see. And I think, you yeah. know, once it may come out on Blu-ray or something, when, you know, it's all like cleaned up picture and uncut and maybe the sound's better and you can, you know, watch it on a big screen or, right. or on your projector or something, uh, its yeah, that's, qualities that's... May, may shine again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, because the print I watched of the movie was pretty, like, blurry and kind of, you know, just wasn't very good, but. I'd like to see it in like a nice, high, highly restored version, just to you know, yeah, just because it does affect it our and, our appreciation yeah. and our our um our our way of how we look at the movie. Right. You know, it's yeah. it's even though it's unconscious probably, but you know, if you can't really appreciate the 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 camera work and maybe right. the colors and the lighting, not getting the full the full extent of what you know the director's vision really is what it exactly. is at the end of the day. So yeah, you have to. But, uh, you but know, it overall, is, it is it is it is a a, a pretty good uh, spaghetti western, I think. Yeah, um, I thought it was good. I thought it was pretty solid. But it does have like, its you know, lighter not, moments, yeah. but it's not nearly as lighthearted as Sabata, I think. Yeah, it's a little darker. It's dark, definitely darker than that movie. But but uh, you know, I, I definitely uh, I would recommend both both movies to to people. Like you know, if, just as a spaghetti western fan, I think they're both you know good good films to that represent the genre very well. And they do make a good double feature. Yeah, it is. And also, it's interesting. I was doing just a little research into into this movie, Payment in Blood. When you know it played in the grindhouses, and in another movie it played with um, on the Deuce was Corruption. This other movie that I like, this Peter Cushing horror movie, and that was another kind of like a popular double feature that would that was always playing back then. So that mm -hmm. was kind of interesting to find out. We're talking in grindhouse, you know, the grindhouse era of those movies so yeah this could have easily also been a u.s western with let's say audie murphy instead of cookie or whatever cookie yeah. yeah. <laughs> ed cookie burns <laughs> he was good yeah i mean you know definitely you know check both of those movies you know we recommend both of those films i'd say let's see yeah absolutely they're they're not stinkers <laughs> <laughs> okay should we move on to our spaghetti western top 10 we were going to do all right okay so i'm, I'm yeah. i don't even i don't even know your top 10 i mean they're, they're I kind of off, like you know they're, they're probably online somewhere too as so are mine but i'm, I'm curious yeah. to see how far apart we will be or not <laughs> i probably i have to say like looking at mine like you know i thought it was going to be like really like eclectic and like you know different but a lot of these are pretty mains to me they're like the mainstream ones in a way i mean but those are the ones I like the most, and there's several by the same director on there too. But I just those are just the ones I like the most right now. And but I mean, maybe like five years ago, it'd be a totally different list. I don't know. Probably would be, but yeah, a little uh, like less is lesser known stuff. You know, I don't know. And and a lot of folks are like that, and that's why on the yeah. Spaghetti Western database, we don't right. only have the top twenty where everybody lists their most popular yeah. ones. Yeah. Also, we do the alternative top twenty, right? And you which have is the top twenty of titles minus right. those that are on the top twenty, which is also really interesting. Uh, really interesting yeah. exercise to do is like, how would the top twenty look like if we were to subtract the top twenty and the then most popular do the ones. exercise over again? Yeah. So mine is like pretty, you know, it's all all the ones I've all the ones on my list are known at this, you know, they're pretty well known. But that's just the way I like what I like. So 
Okay, let you start. Do the first five, and then uh, I figured. Uh, what what if we do like go start from ten and then go down to one or something like that? Wouldn't that be good? I don't know. Oh yeah, we do a countdown. That sounds good. Okay, <laughs> okay so who goes to first? Do you want me to go for? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so my number ten movie is Navajo Joe from nineteen sixty six, directed by Sergio Cobucci and starring Burt Reynolds. <laughs> oh wow, that you didn't even go? make my top twenty. Oh, really? It didn't make your top 20? <laughs> For crap. some reason. Holy I'm crap. looking at it right now. I can't okay. believe it. I, I don't know if you like, do you want to, uh, we probably don't have time to like talk about all these. Well, we just, yeah, just it's go in my them. alternative top 20. Okay. All right. <laughs> do you want to take, go your, do yours next? So my, my, my number 10 is God Forgives We Don't, which is okay. also not only the first um, Turns Hill, but Spencer's Spaghetti Western, but also the first of the, um, uh, uh, of the Colizzi uh, spaghetti yeah. restaurants, of which there are three, the other ones being Ace High and Hotel. And I think, wasn't that released in America by American International, I think? I think. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to I check, know. but it's possible. Okay. My number nine movie is They Call Me Trinity, starring Terrence Hill, <laughs> directed by Enzo Barboni, I think. <laughs> Yeah, E.B. E. Klutcher is his AK. Yeah, E.B. Klutcher is the other name. But I, I, I've always, I think, like, it's funny. Those are probably the first Spaghetti Westerns I ever saw. The Trinity movies and the, you know, the Sergio Leone movies. So they, like, they hold, like, a special place in my my mind as far as like, being, like, a growing up and seeing those. Like, I always, like, thought of Spaghetti Westerns as having, like, that kind of, like, before I, like, grew up and, like, you know, actually researched them and knew about what they were all about. They always had, like, kind of, like, a little bit of humor to them, too. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. that was one of my favorites. So that's I don't even know name. which ones I saw first, but it, it was yeah. probably the Trinity movies because yeah. as a kid that it was the only stuff that uh, played on TV in the afternoon. Right. Yep, that's the same with me. So my number nine is Campaneros uh, okay. by, by Corbucci. One of my favorites, too. Okay. My number eight is The Great Silence, another Sergio Cobucci movie from 1968, starring Jean, how do you say his name? Jean-Louis Trig Trignatin? I can't, I can never say his last name. I think it's Trantignol, but my French is Trantignol. also a bit rusty. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite. I just think that's one of the best spaghetti westerns of all time is The Great Silence. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, okay. So my number eight is A Fistful of Dollars. Oh, cool. It's a bit further down on, on the list, but it, yeah. out of the dollar movies, it's the one I, I, I don't hold that high in regard. So it's only number eight. <laughs> so you split yours up. I, I did mine. I put them all together as one <laughs> thing, as one, you know, counting as one place on the list. But anyways, that's what I did. So yeah, I can also, I can do a, a few footnotes uh, to, to make up for that. But uh, yeah, okay. so um, what's your number seven? Number seven is a, is a movie I just saw recently. It was on another podcast. They they discussed it. Um, you know, if you if you know the the movie, you'll know what podcast I'm talking about. But it's Sonny and Jed, another Sergio. I have like a lot of Sergio Cabucci on mm -hmm. my list for some reason. It's and it's one of my favorites with uh, Thomas Milian and Susan George. I've never uh, seen that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's one of my favorites now. And you know, those are two of my favorite actors of like the '70s, like genre films. Those are so. That's my other. Yeah, one. Susan George so, is great. Yep. And, um, um, so my number seven is Django. Uh, so okay. here we go, another another Kabuchi. Okay, and my my next pick is Django from 1966. <laughs> another Sergio Kabuchi movie. I don't know. I have, I just these are all my favorites right now for right now. So I love yeah, I love that one. Yeah, and um, my number six is uh, The Mercenary. Uh, another Corbucci and yeah. probably yeah. my favorite, not only my favorite, well, not, not only one of my favorite spaghetti restaurants, but also one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites too. Awesome. I didn't put it on this list though, because I, you know, just because I had some other, I, I could have put it on probably as, as, you know, instead of Navajo Joe, that would have been on there. But anyways, we, we definitely, I definitely appreciate that, that one though. I, I definitely like that one a lot. Okay. My next pick is Day of Anger from 1960. I think it's 1967. Mm -hmm. And directed like by Tanino Valeri, with Lee Van, another Lee Van Cleef movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's. Uh, let me see. I don't have it on my top twenty. I think really? it's not even on your top twenty. Really, for some reason. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a curious list. I can continue with Lee because my number five is the Big Gun Down. Yeah, that's an awesome. That's definitely one of my favorites. Okay, my next pick is My Name is Nobody. And that's another that's basically another Tonino Valeri movie from 1973 and that's 
uh, Henry Fonda and Terrence Hill, another movie that's sort of like a, you know, Trinity, like kind of comedy, like a mixture of like comedy and drama. It's one of my favorites. With uh, Leonie's fingerprints all over it. Yep. Yep. And he okay, directed so, some of it, didn't he? Yeah. 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 There's, there's some disagreement of how much really, yeah. but you know, Valerie some of the sequences. Protégé, so. Yeah. I think maybe like that fun house sequence or something they said he did or something like that. I don't know. What was, mm, probably. The mirrors, like, the, the, you know, something like that. Um, so I'm at my number four and that's the great silence. Oh, cool. That's one of my favorites as we know. Okay. My next pick is the big gun down and that's directed by Sergio Salima from 1966. Another Lee Van Cleef film. And yeah, I, so I, wrote, I wrote a review one, of it. It's one of the, one of the big Sergio's. <laughs> yeah. One of my, and then I wrote a review of it on the, on your site. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Um, that brings me to my number two, and that's now. We're, now it's going to be controversial because it does among spaghetti western fans. They they fall into two camps. Whether you pick yeah. the one or the other as your number one. So my number two is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh wow, that's well, that's definitely one of my all time favorites. I'd put it like at number one, but you know, it's good enough. It's fine. We all, okay, my number num, next pick is Sabata, and we just discussed that. Oh yeah, one of my favorites. So you combined your Sergio's, right? Yeah, or I did. Your Leone's. So, uh, so obviously my my number one is Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, oh, cool. So yeah, that's one of my favorites too. But I, I I did combine the Dollars trilogy as my number one. I figured that would just you know. Ah, okay, uh, that's what you did. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just because just because they're like they're you know they're so popular all together all the time. So it's I just figured I'd put them combine them and just you know, keep right. it one trilogy of one what are place. some of your um what would you say are some of your less obvious follow-ups to your top 10 less obvious follow-ups um let's see like uh death rides a horse would be one um kill them all and come back alone is a good one i like mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think uh i'm trying to think about directors and what yeah, I've seen so many of those. Um, I kind of like the like the Blind Man, or, or not Blind Man, but the Get uh, Get Mean with t- Tony Anthony. So like some oh, of those, yeah. <laughs> like the Tony Anthony ones. Yeah. Um, let's see. I forgot to I've mention so earlier that, 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 that I have I have actually met Enzo Castellari once. You met him? Oh yeah, did you interview him or something? I can't remember. It wasn't an interview. It just shook his hand and his oh, uh, his sons. Uh, but <laughs> oh, cool. His but son? Yeah, there was his son was there too. I don't know what, what his son's doing. Uh, what was this? At, like some like movie screening or something? No, nah, this was at, on the set of Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot you went to that. You saw it, you went there. That was cool. Unfortunately, <laughs> there were some videos in the last couple months of um uh, where where Castellari was also in attendance of some event in Rome and he does not look good. Uh, oh, really? I think uh, he might because he was, he looked like a like an old guy. He was really well in shape, and we all right. know the pictures of him, gray hair, but you know, healthy right. and strong, or whatever. But I think yep. he's he's starting to look really frail. Oh well, wow. yeah, he's one of the one of the greats, though, of that. Absolutely. That I want to give two. I want to point out two that I see on my follow ups that I want to recommend because, as you mentioned, I like the grittier types. Yeah. Yep. So I uh, my number fourteen is and God said to Cain with Klaus oh, yeah. Kinski, which yeah. is a really dark one. It's almost yeah. like a gothic uh, type situation. And right. my nineteen is Forgotten Pistolero, and that also that is one hell of a movie. I don't think I've seen that one, but uh, Forgotten Great soundtrack, a very biblical type story. Um, yeah, that's pretty. I'm cool. trying to think of some other ones. Uh... That I like just before we before we like move on to the. Do do you have a cemetery without crosses on yours? Uh no, I don't have that one. But I know there's other there's other ones I like. But uh. Bullet for the yeah. general, maybe. Bullet for the general, but like I liked Re- requiescant. Is that how you mm-hmm. say it? requiescant? That was good. And then there was one of the other ones. Um, uh, what is that? Um, crap! I can't think of it. Um. It's um if you sh- if you shoot is yeah. today today we live tomorrow we die or something I, one of those uh, yeah that that that's one yeah I got mixed up on the, I got mixed up on mm-hmm. those some of those titles but yeah but I mean there's there's other ones too but like I, I liked like they his name was King that was kind of a good one I like that one with uh Klaus Kinski Klaus Kinski uh, yeah also him yeah 
the Klaus. Yeah, the crazy Klaus. Yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> he was a Looney Tune. <laughs> okay, I guess that, that'll wrap up our Spaghetti Western top 10 favorites. Yeah, and, and uh, of course, uh, if you go to the, uh, if you're listening and you want to learn more, you can go to the Spaghetti Western database and we have a yep. bunch of top 10s. We have Tarantino's yeah, top 10. And, and you got so uh, much, so many Blu-rays ones, now. And uh, you can dig dig deeper into the lesser known <laughs> uh, spheres of the Spaghetti Western once, once you've watched yourself through the more popular ones. On to the Blu-ray section, our Blu-ray picks for this this episode. Whoever want you want to go first on these, or I can I can um, so I I don't want to make it too overcomplicated because most yeah. folks can look at the calendar, but I want to point out two um, titles that I think will be especially interesting for uh, English speaking audiences. Let's say uh, so for one in november there will be a u.s release of the spaghetti western with ernest borgnine called a bullet for sandoval and from all the info we have it might actually include a remastered prints of both the u.s theatrical version as well as the uncut longer version so that Mm -hmm. should be really interesting Mm -hmm. and in december um the next a bigger box set by Arrow Video will come out. And the special ingredient here is the little seen but much awaited Robert Woods Western El Puro. So that's mm-hmm. that's what got the fans excited. And those are two, if you're like, uh, if you're looking for, uh, I'm gonna call them stocking stuffers because that's probably a little bit too right. much dough for a stocking stuffer, but um, definitely <laughs> these would be good gifts for Spaghetti Western fans around the holiday season. Right. And speaking so of Spaghetti Western. Right. And we, since we did Sabata, isn't Sabata, didn't they release like a, um, who, someone released a, like a, was it a, the box set that are the trilogy of the Sabata films? I think like yeah, last th- recently. That so can I, be had. That's a UK edition from Eureka. Okay. And I think that's easy to get. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'd and, recommend that if like, you know, if you're a fan of those movies, that's something. In, that, in uh, North America, they were released individually by Kino Lorber. And I okay. think that uh, aside from the extras, they're probably the same prints that okay. were used. All right. So is that you got your picks that you got or okay. At least on the spaghetti western yeah. um yeah. side of things. Yep. Yep. So I for my uh one of my blue my first Blu-ray picks, I, I picked the pack, which is a from nineteen seventy seven and it's like a like a nature strikes back movie, basically like you know, like dogs, you know, attacking everybody, like a pack of dogs are like, you know, terrorizing this like, you know, this the this like, you know, this um town, like and Joe Don Baker is the star of it. And uh it's from 1977 and directed by Robert Klaus, who also directed Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. So that's like that's I saw, just saw that for the first time recently, and I just really liked it. I thought that was a good, that would be a good one for fans of those types of movies, and especially for this month because you know it's it's horror month, so like you know people are going to be watching all those movies. Shocktober. Shocktober, <laughs> right? And um, and then My Bloody Valentine, which we discussed on another episode, is coming out on 4K Blu-ray this in this month. So that's another pick that I would do for like you know. October, or you know whatever you want to call it, and uh, in in uh, actually in in the UK they're releasing uh, our Arrow is releasing Bl- Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace, and that's mm-hmm. in a four K edition. So that would be a good one to get if you're a fan. Sweet. And then for another horror pick, uh, Dario Dario Argento's Tenebrae is on four K from Synapse Films this month. So that's another good one. That's an excellent one. That's like another like one of his best like you know horror films. And uh, I recently uh, reviewed The Prodigal Son, uh, Samuel Hung's uh, kung fu film from like, I think it was 1981 or 1980. And that was like, a, that was excellent. You you recommended that one. And like, I, I got a copy of it, reviewed it. And I, I, I remember really the first time I watched that, I was yeah. just awestruck because yeah. the fight sequences are just yeah, the, a marvel. It's like top of the line, like, you know, kung fu, like Wing Chun, I think is it, it is. Wing Chun Kung Fu. Yeah, it's just fists yeah. and kicks and stuff. It's, yeah, not, it's just crazy. nothing fancy, but it's really, yeah. you know, very little right. cutting and editing and just and the a last, lot of choreography. Yeah. And especially the last fight is one of my all-time favorite Kung Fu fights in, in, in that cinema, <laughs> in that type of <laughs> cinema. Awesome. And um, let's see, what else is on the, on the schedule here? Uh, 
see uh, even though you know it's funny we don't we don't think of duel as an duel isn't really an exploitation film but it's like a we consider it a cult classic now and that's mm. like you know steven spielberg's it was originally a tv movie but then over over in in europe i think they released it as like an actual movie over there so but that's that's one of the that's one of the ones that's coming out in november on 4k 4k ultra hd and that's another pick i would like kind of recommend to people because it's one of my all-time favorite movies it might have been you know it might have been a, a drive-in flick in a different yeah, universe it probably was yeah. back, mm-hmm. you know but i don't know if they but i don't see i don't know if they released it like because over here it was like a tv movie like a made for tv movie so i don't think they yeah. they might have at some point released it as a movie i don't think so that maybe though i don't, I don't know mm-hmm. I, I know overseas they did though but it, it's like you know you could watch it as that you could like you know put it on a double bill with like some other car movie like you know a you know like um dirty car. crazy Larry, <laughs> i don't know something like that or you know just watch it as like a kind of like a car chase type movie have you seen the the car yeah the, you could actually watch it with the car that would be a good one i think that's yeah, the, like, probably you know, i mean the car yeah. is uh it's sort of like uh, a horror like uh, the whole different thing <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's like the the demon possessed car but it's like you know just to, yeah. that theme of like you know ch- being chased or you know whatever running people over and so the car is like death proof without yeah the, without like a real man. person behind the wheel <laughs> yeah that's the type of thing right. i have uh i think i think i have two or three um picks also from the grindhouse catalog here oh yeah i have to before i before i uh leave the warriors is coming out in 4k from uh arrow video that's oh, yeah, like, that's like kind that of a cool mm-hmm. thing yeah that, that'll be a good one and then yeah. uh true let's see and then also two uh Burt Reynolds Hicksploitation classics, White the Gator McCluskey uh double feature, White Lightning and Gator. Those are coming to Blu-ray. I think they were already I don't know if they're already out, but anyways, they're gonna be back um, out. from what I've seen, those are reissues, but yeah, they are okay. have better encoding than the first time they came out. Yeah, so okay. they, if you have the other ones already, they're probably you're probably not gonna notice much difference, but yeah. Right. Um, Oh yeah, and here's one more pick: the Sunny Chiba Collection Volume Two. So if you're a Sunny Chiba nice. fan, you should d- yeah, definitely yeah, pick that absolutely. up. If you have Volume One, you got to have Volume Two. So get that one too. <laughs> for sure. Yep. So I guess that should do it for me. I don't. Okay. Um, I'm. I, I was really bad this year uh, buying exploitation flicks because I have stacks of discs here that I haven't watched. But um, <laughs> had I had I gone shopping. These yep. would have been my July titles. That would have been yeah. Arrow Videos, Bruce Lee at Golden Harvest box set. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a and definitely. And the other one, Severance, The Central World of Black Emmanuel box set, which oh, yeah. sounds amazing. It's like, a, like, I don't know, it's like 20 movies in there. That's an, ep- that's an epic box set for sure. It's And especially that's it's a, so like a such a niche thing like to have like emmanuel like like a whole box set. Yeah, that's a it's lot crazy. of Lara. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, you know. I mean, you know, <laughs> but you know, kudos to kudos to them for doing that. I mean, you know, yeah. And the other one that I wanted to, to point that. out for sure is uh, in August, Grindhouse releasing put out um, William Shatner in Impulse. Oh yeah, I, I really, I, I actually just watched that like a few months ago, like not in like the re- the new version, like the Blu-ray one, but just like an older, you know like you know kind of a bad quality one but it's it's just a crazy movie it's like if you're a william shatner fan you definitely like should pick that one up the, the, <laughs> the one thing releasing see, always puts out good stuff yeah absolutely uh, all the titles by grindhouse releasing should be uh no-brainers right and the, in september i thought it was interesting um blue underground put out a, a ultra hd version of the girl from rio Oh yeah, uh, which is I would th- I would say it's a camp classic. Um, they they had put it out before many years ago yeah. in a double feature with uh, the girl from Sumeru, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Jess Franco movies. Or, or yeah, is... so I'm waiting for the other one to also come out in 4K. I'm not sure if that's yeah. something you need to have or see in 4K, yeah. but it's definitely yeah. as you said, it's it's an absolute niche treatment, right. uh, and uh, it's 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 a... quite a thing to see these these right. flicks getting yeah, that I mean... sort of quality treatment. I'm trying to find like some good ones uh actually like if you're like really into like the old like sci-fi like 50, you know 50 sci-fi movies it the terror from beyond space is not now on blu-ray in an, in an updated version mm-hmm. that's a good that's like a classic that's a good one and another one that i wouldn't uh, normally put into like a grindhousey um corner is yeah. uh, um Frankenheimer's The Challenge, which also oh, yeah, right. um, came out in or comes out this month, I think. Yeah, that's uh, sort of like, you know, it's semi grindhousey. It's like, you know, it's sort of like a samurai like type, 
action. It's movie. a nice crossover, yeah. genre crossover. Thing. One of those yeah. movies. And then if you're early. from France, if you're if you're listening and you're from France, there's plenty of Polizios coming out in France this oh, month, yeah. next month. Yeah, there's tons of those. I, I was looking at those on the site, and there's like all there's like tons of those covers, all those different. And also, I think there's another one or two Shaw Brothers box sets coming out. Actually, from, yeah, actually, there's like Severin? a yeah, but yeah, I think so. But I, actually, let's see. There's um. I think it's like Shout Factory has this like has like oh Shout Factory like yeah. ten different box sets of the Shaw Brothers movies coming out <laughs> all on Blu-ray. So it's like just take a look at the list; you can see them. You can see them all. It's a great time to be a collector. Yeah, that's like for sure. Volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four, volume five. I don't know. There's like tons of them, but if you're a fan of those movies, you can definitely pick all those up too. And uh, so that's about all I got for my 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 list. Actually, um, uh, on, a, on a different note, um, the um, one of the last um, grindhousey type things that I, I watched, uh, which are also on the list here, because it comes out as Luigi Cozzi's Contamination, which is a really, oh, yeah. sh- really, really shitty alien ripoff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if you're yeah, if you like to torment safe. yourself and bore yourself to death, then that's also a recommendation. <laughs> Do you want to contaminate your brain with that crap? <laughs> Go ahead and watch it. It's it's not bad. It's just really it's it's kind yeah. of lousy. It's just like been done better, basically, is what it is. Yeah. Something. Okay. So is that the end of the? That should episode? wrap it up. Yeah. That's the end of the our episode episode thirteen. The spaghetti western double feature. The spaghetti and they, we both recommend those movies too, Sabata and Payment and Blood. And I'm sure that was a good double feature to see at the lyric. Don't go. Don't go see uh, Swedish sex manuals like tra- like Travis Bickle. Go see Sabata and Payment and Blood. And don't take your girlfriend. Don't take your don't take don't take your girlfriend to a porno on the first on the first date. Take her to a spaghetti western double feature on the first date. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. That's how we recommend it. This is Pete Roberts. And the Seb. This has been Forty Second Street Forever, and we'll see you next time. Have a great one. Hay que un sol